question, and that is, have you ever climbed a mountain? Has anyone in here ever climbed a mountain? Yeah? We've got some mountain climbers? Um, what's, what mountain have you climbed? Indeed. Wonderful. Was it uh, easy to get to the top of, or did it take some work? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you were making your own trail straight up yeah. the mountain. Yeah. Incredible. Mount Rubidoux. Mount Rubidoux. Okay. Very good. Um, anyone else? What mountains have you climbed? I heard San Gregonio. That's a very tall mountain. Excellent. How long did it take you guys? Pretty much all day, huh? Probably. Close to that. Wow. Could be a two-dayer. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, anyone else? Mount Adams. Ooh, very nice. I'm from the Northwest, and so I love those mountains up there. That is a good one. Which, which uh, route did you guys take? Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really cool. Who else? Dan, you've got a mountain? Mount St. Helena. Mount St. Helena. Wow. So you broke your new boots in. And you broke, broke your feet at the same time. Oh, very sorry. Wow. Any other mountains? We've got some mountains here. Which one? Pyramid Peak. Ooh. Northern California, right? I bet that's beautiful. Dan? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Here we've got one. Really? Now there's some heavy duty stuff there. Very cool. Wow. What uh, elevation is the base camp at? Good choice. <laughs> That's really incredible. Wow. Jamie. Mount Mulanji. Mulanji in Malawi. Very, very cool. It's a big one, huh? Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Wow. Uh, so I, I got to climb a few mountains um, in my life. One of them that I've climbed is the tallest place in Washington State, Mount Rainier. And uh, when I got to climb that, we took a couple days, hiked up to our base camp, and then camped there overnight, woke up really early in the morning, and started out toward the top. Um, 
keeping gaining another thousand feet of elevation after another one. And when we were getting near the top, like my head was getting a headache because it's very tall up there and you start to realize that there's not as much oxygen in those parts of the atmosphere. That one is 14,411 feet, I believe. You can check me on that. A little bit. That sounds right. I'm not sure. But, but it took a lot of effort. Like each, each step that you take, like I didn't, I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel good up there on the, near the top of that mountain. Um, I, my, my head was just like cloudy and my head was hurting and it, it, uh, it took a lot of, a lot of effort. And each of you guys can vouch that the mountains you've climbed, it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of determination and effort and I'm going to do this if it's, if it's the last thing, okay, I'm going to get to the top. Um, it takes a lot of human effort to get up to the top of a mountain. There's another group of people who put forth a lot of effort. They tried so, so hard to make sure they did all the right things. They wrote a checklist of all the righteous things they had to do to gain God's approval. They, they were the masters of this. They seemed to, to be the, the ones among all the people on the world who put forth the most effort to be good. Who in the Bible do you think I might be talking about? Any ideas? The Pharisees, exactly, exactly. You've got it right. Let's go back to our scripture reading for today. And I'd like to, I'd like us to read what Jesus says about the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying here is that what the scribes and Pharisees were doing wasn't enough, was it? Unless we can somehow exceed the righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees had, Jesus says that we will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what if I were to say to you, after you got to the top of your mountain, ah, you've, uh, you've put forth some good effort there, but, but unless you can get up even higher than the top of the mountain, ah, there's no hope for you. Too bad. You would say to me, well, uh, that's ridiculous. I, I got to the highest point. Like, you can't go any higher than that, right? You can't go any higher than that. But yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. They had done all that they could. They had put forth every ounce of effort that they could 
in order to be good, in order to be righteous. And yet, um, it wasn't enough. They had gone to the very top of the mountain as far as they could. And yet, Jesus says, it wasn't enough. What hope is there for us if the scribes and Pharisees who tried all they could did all of that and yet it wasn't enough? How is there ever hope for you and me? Amen. Amen. And today we're going to open the Bible and find that hope that is so beautifully presented in God's word. So uh, I want us to turn to another verse. And we're going to begin looking for answers to this question, this quandary that we've presented. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Does anyone have that verse that you'd like to read nice and loud so that everyone can hear? 2 Corinthians 3, 9. Okay, clear. Excellent. Thank you very much, Claire. In this passage, there is presented an old way and a new way. Uh, it's been called also the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And this verse is contrasting the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And it says that the new way, this new beautiful way that God has provided for us, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory than the previous uh, covenant. My Bible actually has two words that are the very same two words that we had in our scripture reading back in Matthew 5. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So the two words I'm thinking of is righteousness and exceeds. Now, look in this verse, um, different versions have it differently, but my Bible actually says the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Hmm, what an interesting connection. The, this is maybe a way that, that, we, uh, that we can find to get that righteousness that exceeds, that goes above the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that was presented in Matthew 5. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, I want us to look also over to verse 14, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. See if you see any things here that might be describing the scribes and Pharisees. It says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Isn't that 
exactly describing the scribes and Pharisees, they were masters of the Old Testament. They, they had it memorized. And yet, there was a veil that was covering their minds as they read this. They couldn't see Jesus as they read the, 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 the words of the law. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it actually tells us and confirms our suspicion that this is talking about the new covenant versus the old covenant. Uh, if we look back, 2 Corinthians 3, let's start in verse 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of, what does it say? Verse 6, ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Clearly, this passage is making a stark contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Let's see if we can uh, parse out some characteristics of each. Um, first of all, the text gives it to us pretty clearly there in verse 3. The old covenant was merely written on external things, like parchment or rock, it actually says. But the new covenant is written on our hearts. That's when God actually takes the law that he gave at Sinai and, and makes it a part of us. He writes it on our minds and in our hearts. Um, another characteristic that we can describe uh, this contrast between the old and new covenants, I think, is found in verse 5. Not that we are, of, are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. In the old covenant, we try to make our sufficiency from ourselves. We rely upon ourselves to do the right things. We try to climb to the highest mountain peak. But it's not good enough, is it? But in the New Covenant, Paul says here, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Um, note who it is that does this work of the new covenant in our lives. Uh, from these verses right here, who is it that accomplishes this in our lives? Maybe look at verse 3 or verse 6. The Spirit of God, yes. So the old covenant uh, doesn't allow for the Holy Spirit to work in my life. 
But the new covenant is where the Spirit of God is actually working in my heart to accomplish the righteousness of God in me. Let's go to another verse that describes this new covenant experience uh, that, that uh, will take us a little farther from where we are to where we are going. Let's go to Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with them and their with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That sounds familiar to what we just read in 2 Corinthians, doesn't it? I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then end of verse 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isn't that beautiful? God actually doesn't want to remember your sins. Isn't that good news? What he wants to do is forget those. And uh, oftentimes I keep reminding myself of them. But he wants to forget them in this new covenant experience. Let's go to another verse that describes this beautiful new way God has for us. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit. Here's the spirit again showing up. Yeah, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, when we were climbing our mountains in our experiences at the beginning of the sermon, um, who was doing the work there? I was, yeah? We've got to put one foot in front of the other and keep going and keep going all the way, putting forth that, that effort to the top of the mountain. Um, I want you to notice uh, who takes ownership in the new covenant. Of, of, uh, of accomplishing this work in us. Notice here in Ezekiel 36, how many times God says, I will, I will, I will. Yeah? How many times? Can you count them up for me? Anyone got a number? Probably, yeah, five or six in those verses. And um, if we looked in the, in the surrounding verses, there's even more. Wow. In the New Covenant, God takes 
ownership and says, I want to accomplish this in your life. The standard is still the same. God's law is the same whether we're living in an old covenant experience or the new covenant experience. It's just that the onus of that uh, work changes from myself to God. In the new covenant, God says, look, cooperate with me. Let me accomplish this work in you. And that is what the scribes and Pharisees were missing. Let's go on to uh, one more Bible verse here on the New Covenant experience, and that is in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Someone want to read that for me? Romans 8, 3, and 4, nice and loud. Ben, go for it. Who are the law cannot do in that it is weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Wow. Thank you, Ben. So Jesus came to this world in order to do something that we could not and that the law could not do. It says in verse 4 that because of what Jesus did in living and dying for us, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in me and in you. In other words, God is saying, you actually can have righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. But, mind you, it has nothing to do with your inherent goodness. It's because of what Jesus has accomplished and what he will accomplish in you. Let's go to a verse that will paint uh, a more beautiful picture of, of, of how this actually happens. Jeremiah 33, verses 15 and 16. Jeremiah 33, verses, 16 and, verses 15 and 16. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Who do you think that may be talking of and prophesying of? Any ideas? Jesus. Jesus is that branch of righteousness that is prophesied here. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this will be the name by which she will be called. Look at this name. The Lord our righteousness. There's a lot packed into that name. The Lord, our righteousness. Uh, what is implied by that name? Number one, I think, is implied is that the Lord is righteous. He alone is the righteous one. And yet, we're somehow included in what is said there, right? 
It says that the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. Paul makes this same statement in uh, 1 Corinthians. He said, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus became righteousness for me. He is my righteousness. So, how can I have righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? I've got to have Jesus in me because he alone is righteous. Let's go to Colossians 1.27. This is an incredible verse. Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. So if Christ is living in me, this is the fulfillment of my hope to reach God's glory. Yeah? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if Christ is righteous and Christ is in me, then his righteousness is in me. Does that make sense? That is the way for me to have righteousness that exceeds. Let's go to John 14. John 14, verses 16 through 18. This verse, I think, will provide some light into uh, how Jesus can live in me. John 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and, what does it say? Will be in you. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. We've seen this character before, haven't we? He's the one that the other verses said would accomplish this new covenant experience in our lives. And here, Jesus is promising to his disciples, look, soon I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's not only going to be with you, he's going to be inside of you. Jesus wants to, wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. But look at verse 18. After promising what that he would send the Holy Spirit, what does Jesus say in verse 18? John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Wait a minute. He just said that the Holy Spirit would be sent to you. But now he's saying, I will be sent. I will come to you. How can we harmonize that? Any ideas? They're one. Okay. Yes, the, the, the members of the Godhead are one. Jesus wants to dwell in me through his Holy Spirit. That's how he dwells in each one of us by sending his spirit to live in me, in you. 
So back to our initial quandary. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. From a human standpoint, that is utterly discouraging, utterly hopeless, because the scribes and Pharisees were doing everything they possibly could. They had gotten to the peak of the mountain. You can't go any higher than that. But what God wants to do is come and pick us up in his heavenly helicopter and take us up beyond the peak of the mountain. He wants to get us in his rocket ship and take us into the heights of the universe. And this is nothing that, that we can brag about because the best that we could do was get to the top of the mountain. And that wasn't good enough. All our righteousness is filthy rags. But God wants to live in me through his Holy Spirit. He wants to live in you through his Holy Spirit. And through that beautiful method, he will accomplish, he will accomplish a righteousness that exceeds. Many of us, probably all of us, have probably experienced things in our lives where we have tried over and over and over to win victories over certain things in our lives. We've done all that we could. We've, we've exerted our utmost effort. And yet it, we, we still fail. We still fall on our, on our faces. Jesus wants to come in and win the victory in our lives. He wants to have a divine cooperation where we say, Lord, you come in, you win the victory in my life. I want to yield my entire will to you, for you to win the victories, for you to accomplish in me that which I could never do on my own. I want to allow you, Jesus, to accomplish in me a righteousness that exceeds, that's more than any scribe or Pharisee could attain to. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we acknowledge our utter helplessness. We acknowledge our, our hopelessness, helplessness without you. And yet we are so encouraged to know that you have come down to this world, lived a righteous life, and died for us, you have raised up from the dead and are now interceding for us in heaven's sanctuary. And because of Jesus, we have the opportunity to have a righteousness that exceeds. And we just want to open our lives and say, come in, Holy Spirit. Jesus, live in us by your Spirit 
Teach us what it means day by day to walk with you, to walk with you in us, moment by moment, to cry out to you when we're in trouble and let you win the victory in our lives. I want to give us each an opportunity as our heads are bowed. If it is your desire to invite Jesus to live in you by his Holy Spirit, to produce in you a righteousness that exceeds, raise your hand to Jesus and invite him in now. Lord, we thank you that although we have much to learn in how to live this out day by day, you will teach us and you will work so patiently with us uh, to lead us to this new covenant experience where we have your righteousness that exceeds. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.